God, we declare that tonight, that you are Lord of all, that you are our God. And what a sweet time it's been, Lord, just to sit before your feet. We do want to seek you. We want to be near to you, and we feel your presence here right now. God, as we come before you, as we worship you tonight, Lord, I also want to pray for your word, God, that you would speak to us through the Bible, God, as we study this passage tonight that it would be meaningful, God, that you would anoint it by your spirit and you would speak to us. You are Lord of all, God. You are a cornerstone. You do make weak strong. And so make us strong tonight, God. Thank you for your love that gets us through the storm. And thank you that you are Lord God over us all. And so we just want to declare that, honor that tonight as we put our full attention upon your word. So bless your word right now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. Aloha to you guys and everyone online, too. If you can grab your Bibles and open them up now to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. And we're going to continue our study here through the book of Luke. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I needed that time of worship. and I, I really needed to be with the Lord today and... It's, it's just so great. Thank you, Zach and Mary Beth and worship team and all. I guess I was playing too, but anyway. <laughs> I already prayed for the word, so uh, we're going to get right into it tonight. Uh, right here, Luke chapter 20. You guys remember a TV game show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You guys remember that? Uh, back in February of 2003, Kevin Smith became the first to win a million dollars on the syndicated version of the show. After correctly answering and winning some money in each step on the way, he came to that point that he finally reached that point, that question that would win him a million dollars. And and what was that million dollar question? Well, th- this was the question. The U.S. icon, Uncle Sam, was based on Samuel Wilson, who worked during the War of 1812 as what? And as the questions go, they give you a multiple choice to make it a little more easier, yeah? So who was who, who this Uncle Sam, Samuel Wilson, and what, what did he do for, for work? Yeah, well, there were four choices that were given. A was meat inspector. B was male deliverer, C was historian, and D was weapons mechanic. So what would you think he is? What what would be your answer? Well, you don't have to tell me because you're all wrong. No. Um, if you chose anything but A, then you were wrong, and you would have lost the million dollars. So the answer, the correct answer, and he answered correctly here, uh, was A, which was meat inspector. Did you know that that's interesting, right? Well, that completely changed the financial status of his life. He won a million dollars. And, well, that's what it really means, right? If When we use that term, that's a million-dollar question, right? It, because the answer is really going to be life-changing. And that's why I bring this up. Because tonight, as we return to our study in the book of Luke, 
we find Jesus actually ask a question to the Jewish religious leaders, and the answer could completely change their lives. So, in a sense, Jesus asked them, and this is our title tonight, the million-dollar question. The million-dollar question. Now, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 20 from verse 41 through 47. We are going to finish this chapter finally, you're saying. Finally, yeah. We've been making our way through this slowly. Actually, through the whole book of Luke, we've been going through it very slow this time around as we come through this. And uh, i just really been enjoying it, and I wanted to zero in on things, so that's why. But tonight, we get to finish this chapter. And uh, I have really only two... Uh, headings for our outline. And so there's really only two sections to this passage. And number one is this, unveiling his divine identity. And number two is uncovering their true identity. So that's the two headings we're going to be looking at. And really, you know, my outline is really the idea, sometimes the point of what the passage is giving us. So that's what we're going to be seeing about this million dollar question. So Luke Chapter 20, we're going to be looking for verse 41 through 47, but let's first look at number one in our outline, unveiling his divine identity, unveiling his divine identity. Now, we're going to be covering verses 41 through 44 in this first section, the second section. We'll do the rest of this chapter, but let's take a look at those first four verses here, and I want to read the whole set, then we're going to get back into it and get into it verse by verse. So verse 41, Luke chapter 20, it begins with this, verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? All right, we'll stop right there. Now we begin with Luke writing here in verse 41. He says, but he said to them. So, but is that conjunction. It's, 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 it's attaching us, connecting us to what was been said before that. And so Luke says, he, that's Jesus, said to them. Who's this? Well, he's been talking to who? The Pharisees and scribes and Jewish religious leaders, right? And we found in this whole chapter how these guys have come to Jesus and posing questions to him, challenging him, right? They've been, they've been asking, you know, by whose authority at the beginning of the chapter that you do these things and you teach and everything like that. And how about paying taxes to Caesar? And, and last time we talked about the afterlife and his marriage in heaven and that whole thing. But all these questions were designed for to, to trap Jesus, to bring him down, to shame him. So that they could have something in his answer. They were like trick questions so that they can catch him at something to incriminate him, Yeah, to give them reason to justify the reason to arrest him, to put him down, to, to discredit him, and really ultimately bring him to a place of condemnation where, where he would basically have to die for what he's been saying. So we've been saying that. They've been trying to trap Jesus into saying something to incriminate him so they could kill him. Well, we know in this chapter, we've been studying all these weeks that they couldn't trap Jesus, right? This is God. This is God in his wisdom. So Jesus was always able to really stump them, to turn the tables and kind of stump them or answer them, 
even in, in with great wisdom, which we saw last week. Remember, uh, in verse 39, if you look up, then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. So they're at this moment where, where the, the scribes, and we saw in the next verse that, well, they couldn't ask him anything else because they're just amazed. Like, whoa, his answers, we can't get to him. So now, I believe, Jesus has their attention. Now, in this open door that they're like, wow, Jesus, you're, I can't believe what you said. That perhaps they may hear some more wisdom from Jesus. So here Jesus actually turns the tables and asks them a question. They've been asking him a question. So now you ask them a question, really, to teach them something. So he asked them a question here. He said, Jesus said to them, the religious leaders, how can they say that Christ is David's son. Now, how can they? Who's who's the they here? Well, I kind of picture like in the Jesus movies. He's, I mean, the the religious leaders are there, part of the crowd. But it's it's like Jesus kind of turns to everyone, you know, everyone in the audience, and and he's kind of like, how could these guys here, the religious leaders who've been asking me questions, how can they? Now. Uh, we know from the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark that these are Pharisees and these are scribes. So these these are the experts on Scripture. So that kind of keys in into what Jesus is bringing them into. So here's these experts of Scripture, and and they're the scribes, the lawyers, the Pharisees, and Jesus is like, how could these guys now, you know, say that Christ? He says here in verse 41, Christ is who? The Messiah is David's son. Now, this was a teaching that they all understood. All the Jews understood that that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. He would come from the family line. I mean, there's many Old Testament scriptures that have prophesied this. And one key was one key scriptures in 2 Samuel 7:12, where God told David that he would. Uh, set up your seed. I'll come and set up your seed and establish my kingdom, establish God's kingdom on the earth. So everyone knew that that meant the Messiah will come from the line of David, the lineage of David. They understood that. So the Messiah would be a son of David, and that that be, that son of David became a term for the Messiah. Now, before we go on into really explaining this question that Jesus puts out, uh, understand that Jesus asked this question in leading the religious leaders from what the common thinking was at that time to bring more information, to actually bring in a full picture of who the Messiah really is. So that's what Jesus is leading them into with this question. And we know uh, that Jesus is God, right? So Jesus is really unveiling his divine identity. So I'm giving you kind of a clue ahead of time what we're heading into. Now, as I mentioned, most of the ancient Jews thought the Messiah would be this human being, would would be a son of David. And so with that, they believe that the Messiah will come, set up the kingdom. So he is going to be this political figure. 
And God would send this descendant of David to come in and, and like the glory days of old, like David, come in and conquer the enemies and, and raise up the nation and be head of the nation once again. So remember, we've been talking about that. That's what the disciples and even all the people were thinking this time that, oh, Jesus is the one. He's the one. He's going to come. He's going to take over the Romans, conquer them and set up kingdom on the earth now. But think about this now with this thought that the Messiah is a descendant of David. Well, the Messiah, their thought was just a human being sent by God, empowered by God even to take over and be set up as the head of this kingdom, like the glory days of old, you know, of the kingdoms of before. I was thinking, you know, if the scribes really wanted to see if Jesus was really the Messiah, like the people had were thinking at this moment, right? Um, only a few days ago, he came into the city, the triumphal entry, they're, they're heralding him as the Messiah coming in, right? We talked about that a few chapters back or, or so. Well, I was thinking if the scribes really wanted to see if Jesus is the Messiah, they could have looked at their records because at this time of what we're reading, the scribes took uh, kept meticulous records of every Jewish family and their genealogy. And if they were really interested, they could easily trace Jesus' lineage. They could, oh, Joseph, oh, Mary, oh, hey, you know, trace it all the way back to, to David. Now, all these records were, take note of this, they were actually stored in the temple at the time. But in 70 A.D., when the Romans came and destroyed and burned down the temple, all those records are lost. So today, there's no genealogies like that anymore. Which, personally, I think, well, you know, maybe they don't need anymore because, right, Jesus already came. He is the Messiah, you know. But uh, I think it's even further proof that he is the Messiah, that there's no need and there's no more of those records. So it's another proof that God sent Jesus right at the right time in history. So here's Jesus kind of coming into this thought of what the people have been thinking and what the religious uh, leaders have been teaching. So Jesus is leading their thoughts, basically asking this, and this is, this is the, what I want you to see. Jesus is saying, why is it that you guys teach the Messiah is just a descendant of David a human being. That's what Jesus is really saying here. That's when he says here in, in verse 41, how can they say that Christ is David's son? It's, he's not going against them. It's more like, why is it you guys teach that? You know, well, that mes the Messiah is just a son of David, just a descendant of David, a human being. So that's this question he puts out in leading their thoughts. You know, it's interesting to me, I was thinking about this. At this time, the Jewish guys, they believe that, oh yeah, the Messiah, he's just a human being. And I'm thinking, you know, isn't that today? Many cults and religions and philosophies, they see Jesus as just this human being, right? Uh, and the Muslims see Jesus as another prophet. Like, I think there are five main prophets and Jesus is one of them. Just another human being prophet guy. Or Buddhism, right? Uh, they mention little about Jesus, but if when they do, they say, "Oh, Jesus was a good person. Yeah, he was a good teacher. Just just another human being." Or in the world, worldly philosophers say, "Oh, he's he did such good things, but unfortunately, yeah, 
uh, the political landscape and things happen. And he was unlucky. He, he was killed. You know, he died on the cross. Uh, he was put upon the cross. So like many we see today, the religious leaders stop short by saying Jesus is just a human being. So that's the thinking as Jesus comes into this part as he asks this question. You know, I was thinking that many of us, we stop short and keep Jesus as just that good teacher or, or a prophet. Yeah. And, 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 and we stop short of that. Sometimes people think, oh, yeah, Jesus is that guy that started Christianity and he died. Yeah. People do that. I think even believers, we limit Jesus in our lives. Yeah? We can limit him by not really uh, bringing him into our life like he would like us to. Sometimes we limit Jesus by just worshiping him only on Sundays. Yeah? But in, and not involving Jesus into our everyday life like we should. So in many ways, we limit Jesus in our lives. We limit who he is his role in our lives and what we should be doing with Jesus. So here's Jesus. He, he's coming into this. And, and so Jesus asks, why, why is it you believe that the Messiah is just this human being? Why is that? When, so he goes on to verse 42, like saying, when, you know what, David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, he, he says, now, why is it you guys just see the Messiah as a human being when, you know, Scripture. Now, notice Jesus brings in Scripture here, a Scripture that they're all familiar with, even, even the people, but especially the Pharisees and Christ, because Jesus quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, and this is a messianic psalm. It is prophesying the Messiah. And everyone knew that. So Jesus brings this up, brings up this psalm, that this verse that everyone knows. And he says, okay, you know, David, you know, you guys, why is it you just teach that, Jesus, that the Messiah, excuse me, is just a human being? When David says in Psalm 110, basically, the Lord said to my Lord. Let's take a look at that for a moment. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, or the original text, in Psalm 110, it actually says, uh, it actually says, the Lord, or Yahweh, basically. Yahweh said to my Adonai, or Adonai, we say today. So those are the actual Hebrew words. So Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, Jehovah God, right? Uh, David writes, Jehovah God said to my Adonai. Adonai means like master or Lord. So David's like saying, uh, or Jesus saying, you know, David wrote, Yahweh said to my Lord, my my master, my 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 uh, my God, basically. And so, first of all, Jesus saying, how about this? You guys say, oh yeah, the Messiah is a human being, but how about this, David? actually called the Messiah God, the Lord, Adonai, here in Psalm 110, verse 1. And then Jesus says, well, well, he goes on, right, in verse 1 of Psalm 110, he says, sit at my right hand, the second part of verse 42. Now, that is a place of honor and authority. And for Yahweh, Jehovah God, to, to tell 
uh, Adonai to come and sit at my right hand. It was really a, a phrase of giving honor and authority, a seat at the table or a seat on the throne, I would say. Yeah. So that even even pushes it. Secondly, how about when David said the Messiah would sit on the throne reserved only for God? That's the idea here. And then lastly, the psalm goes on and Jesus quotes it in verse 43, until I make your enemies your footstool. So the, this phrase, making your enemies your footstool, uh, it describes how the Messiah will powerfully conquer his enemies or the enemies of Israel and enemies of God. So everyone liked that because they want the Messiah to come and take over and set up the kingdom. Um, in ancient times, uh, the phrase really meant like how the conquering king would put his foot on the defeated ruler's neck, and so their neck or their head would be like a footstool, and that, and that would show his victory and, and the defeat of the enemy. So Jesus kind of throws in this third thing that the only person who could have that much power over the enemies of God is God himself. So Jesus, do you understand, is leading their thinking to see, you know what, the Messiah is actually more than just a human being. The Messiah is actually God. And that's why David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote Psalm 110, verse 1, saying, the Lord said to my Lord and the rest. Isn't that interesting? So he brings in Scripture to show this to those who were the experts, supposedly, of Scripture, to think about this and pose this question. One pastor and author, Ian H. Murray, once said, Our vision of God must be controlled not by what we see in the world, but by what Scripture authorizes us to believe. I like that, yeah? Because it's what is written in here that shows us what is true. It's what's written in here how we can filter out what is not true, right? It's what is written in here, and that's what Jesus is using, Scripture of what they know. They're familiar with this messianic passage in Psalm 110. They know that that's about the Messiah, so Jesus brings them into like a little Bible study, basically. Hey, how about, how about this, you guys? Look at, look at this passage now. I'm putting it into your minds. The Lord said to my Lord, whoa, what, what is that? So, so get the flow of this passage now. Jesus is using the scripture to support, yeah, exactly what the truth of God is. And so he comes in, he asks, why is it you believe that the Messiah is just a human being when David in Psalm 110 indicates that the Messiah is more than a human being? But actually, if you think about it, he's God. He's Adonai. And so he puts this out now. In verse 44, going along that flow, he says, they, David thus calls him Lord, but how is he his son? Do you, do you understand what, he, what he's saying? If David calls the Messiah Lord, then how could be the Messiah be his descendant? Yeah. If David calls the Messiah God, then how could the Messiah be his human being? How does that work? Basically, so he's throwing that thought out. Now, this, this is even more interesting because here's David calling the Messiah, his descendant down the line, Lord. And in that culture, in the Jewish culture, 
hold. You never, you know, the 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 older never calls the younger, yeah, Lord or elder or master. There's the respect goes the other way. The elder, the older one gets the respect and honor. But for the older to do do that, like David is writing here, something's going on here. This is a puzzle. So he's throwing this out to lead the thinking in this way. Well, how is that? How can it be the same? How can the Messiah be both, what, God and man? Well, there's only one explanation, right? That the Messiah is the eternal God, David's Lord, and the Messiah is also a human being, David's son. The Messiah is both. So you see how incredible Jesus is putting this out to the people to understand who he is? Here, Jesus is unveiling yeah, his divine identity here. That's why, if you remember back in John chapter 1, verse 14, John wrote, And the Word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, the Heavenly Father God, full of grace and truth. So we understand that today as the incarnation, Christmas, right? Uh, God coming into this world in the flesh, being born a baby boy, yeah, the incarnation, God becoming man. And so here Jesus is saying, that's the Messiah. The Messiah isn't just some human being, but he's actually God come in the flesh here. So Jesus leads their thoughts into seeing this. According to Scripture, the Messiah is not just a human being, but also the Lord God. According to Scripture, the Messiah is not just a human being, but also the Lord God. Now, I'm sure with a lot of them back then, and I'm sure with us today, that's that's hard to conceive of, you know, totally. But we know that's the truth of what we see in the Bible. It's part of the gospel. When we come to Jesus Christ, we have to believe that he is Lord. He is God who has come in the flesh to die for our sins, to become a man, to die for sin. It's, it's, it's part of the whole gospel, and, and we got to see Jesus in that way and in no other way. That Jesus isn't just some great teacher and said some nice things, you know, about how we live our life, and he had a good philosophy on, of life. But no, he is God. And I think that's what's important to understand, that Whole oh, Jesus should rise up in our minds to a higher level. You know, I was reading about this woman named Aloysia Weber. And she's famous only because Mozart, you know, the famous composer a long time ago, asked her to marry him. And now this was way before anyone knew who Mozart was. He was young, before he was famous. But she denied him. She said no. Because her, and actually her mother, also denied him, thinking that ah, that he would amount to nothing. And the mother really wanted her daughter to marry into wealth. But he had nothing. And they're not, no, no, no. Little did they know how famous Mozart would become. He actually ended up marrying like her sister, like her younger sister later on. But later, Aloysia said, I have... Um, I know nothing of his greatness, like at that time. I only saw him as a little man. 
I was thinking, that's the religious leaders here. You know, standing before them, right? Right at this moment, what we're reading is the Messiah, Jesus, God, yeah? Come from heaven to the earth. And they're blind to that. That was the blindness of the religious leaders. They only saw the Messiah as some human being, a political king over the nation of Israel. But right there is Jesus. Uh, and, 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 and you know how they were trying to get to Jesus. And they didn't realize who this person, who the identity of Jesus really was. Standing in front of them was God in human form, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who really have come, who really came to save the nation spiritually, spiritually. So you see, when Jesus poses this question here, how, you know, why is it they say that Christ is David's son? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, yeah? And David just calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? So this whole question here, putting it all together, that's the million-dollar question. Because their answer will determine their eternity. Their answer will determine if they listen to Jesus or not. If Jesus is God, I mean, shouldn't they listen to him, right? If, if Jesus is the Messiah who's prophesied to come, and he's offering the truth about salvation, shouldn't they be listening? Shouldn't be that something where you put all your attention, you know, on that, right? I mean, if, if, if you're not feeling well and you're sick, you don't know what's going on, you go to the doctor and the doctor uh, comes, checks you out, do some tests, and he comes into the room, aren't you going to listen, yeah, to what he says about what the problem is? And then aren't you going to really listen to how to heal, to be healed, I take this prescription or do this or change your diet or what, whatever that is. We're going to like really listen up because it's going to affect right, how we live if we're going to keep living and, and, and if we're not going to feel those symptoms of sickness and pain and all that. The thing about this now, God came, became a man, and he became a man to teach everyone, to to look face-to-face face with people so people could hear his voice. So Israel, he came to Israel, could hear God speak and share the truth about God, about salvation, about the nation, about where they stay with him. Shouldn't they listen? Shouldn't they like really put their attention in? Shouldn't really the religious leaders who supposedly know God and know the scriptures even more be attentive to Jesus and respect him and honor him. So Jesus is, is, is really trying to open up things for them. We know that God had to become a man because he had to be the perfect sacrifice to die. God cannot die. So that's another hard thing to understand. But God became a man so that he could die as a sacrifice and atone for our sins. So here's God right there standing in front of them to come into this world to die for their sins. And and what is that we see? God's love. God's love. So all of this I'm saying is that Jesus, he's un- unveiling that divine identity, identity. And he's posing this question with this certain logic so that these guys, as well as the, the disciples and the Jews listening, so 
he would be able to break through with this logic of Scripture. This is Jesus trying to do that. And and remember, these guys are are they they're trying to get to Jesus. They're they're trying to kill him. And so I see Jesus really trying to use this logic. The doors open. They're like, whoa, you, oh Jesus, you're teaching amazing things, yeah. So the doors open. So he's gonna throw out this logic of the scriptures of the truth to try and break through their animosity, to save them from their own wrong thinking. And so you see, this is the million-dollar question here. Yeah? That could change their whole life. What is Jesus showing you now? Or what has he been showing you? Yeah? He's been drawing you. He's been speaking to you. And, and, and hopefully we see what an incredible proof this is on the deity of Jesus Christ. And if he is God, we should be attentive here because the things he's telling us and the things he's asking us to believe could be the million-dollar question for us and change our lives yeah, radically. So the million-dollar question comes out, and we see, first of all, unveiling his divine identity. Let's go to number two in the rest of our passage here in this chapter, uncovering their true identity. Now, this is really focusing in on these religious leaders. And we're going to cover verses 45 through 47. So let's read the whole thing. We'll take it apart. Uh, Verse 45, Luke chapter 20. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So after Jesus says this, now as the crowds we see in verse 45, as they're still listening in here, he turns to the disciples. Now, he he wants to speak to them. He really wants to direct this to the disciples. Why? Because, remember, this is Wednesday. Yeah. This is, you know, by Friday, he's going to be hanging on the cross. And so, uh, from the other Gospels we're putting together, he's he's teaching them. He's giving them last-minute instructions. He's he's showing them truths. In the next chapter, we're going to see about the end times and things like that later, you know, what what to look for. He's instructing them. And and you can read John. John, he gets into a whole thing, a long thing, uh, during the Lord's Supper. But here's one of the things he he wants to instruct them in because these guys, remember, they're going to be the ones who will be uh, carrying on the gospel. And they're going to be the leaders. They're going to be the spiritual leaders here. So Jesus wants to make sure the disciples understand who the scribes, who the Pharisees really are so they don't follow in their steps. Now, even though these guys are experts of the law and scriptures, Jesus wants to really mold the future leaders here. So Jesus wants to give them four things now to be aware of. He says here, uh, beware of the scribes. That's the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts of the law and the scripture. So um, there's four things I want to bring out here that he is warning them of. And number one is that they love the position of power. They love their position. 
and they love to be in a position of power. And that's what it was about. It wasn't about the study of scriptures or, or teaching the scriptures. It was just they liked that position that they held. And so he says, beware of the scribes, these experts of the law, who walk around in long robes. So they love to wear their fancy Pharisee scribe robes. They had special uh, 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 clothes, you know, they're, their, their suits were, you know, $1,000, $2,000 suits, you can say. You know, they, they loved to wear that because it, it showed their position. It showed who they were. It would broadcast their, quote-unquote, holy position that they hold to uh, before the people. You know, it's interesting in Numbers chapter 15 that uh, Moses gave from the Lord that the Jews were to wear uh, put tassels on the edge of the bottom of the robes, you know, as a remembrance of the holy God. Well, these guys, they 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 went extreme on that. They got like extra large tassels. I don't know how big, but I just pictured these big, big pom-pom balls, yeah. And they sewed those on the bottom of their robes, really, and so that it would scrape the ground and what, to bring attention yeah to their position compared to the regular guy yeah? that that's what they were they were known known for they also jesus uh writes here that in verse 46 and they love greetings in the marketplaces what is that what's jesus saying well specifically on market day i think it was twice a week once or twice a week i know one day was thursday they would Go. Those were the days they would go out and walk around the marketplace, all dressed up, big tassels and everything. And they loved to go out there. Why? So people would see them. And as they walked by, they loved people saying, "Oh, Rabbi. Oh, 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 Teacher. Oh, Master." You know. And they they would love that because they loved their position. And so they would only go out though on market day when the town was most crowded at that time jesus is exposing all this and then he says in verse 46 another thing and the best seats in the synagogues you know what that means they sit up front or a lot of times these uh, leaders would sit on stage so they like that position of power and up in front of the people and also here in verse 46 at the end and the places of honor at feasts now, you remember, Jesus had talked about this before of not to, you know, fight and not to go after that place of honor. That seat of, of honor was um, really uh, to sit in the, either the seat of the guest of honor or right next to the guest of honor. So they fight for that. They wanted to be in that high position. So they love the position of power. And their position really their, their their desire was all about the notoriety the fame think about that rather than leading the people into knowing the scriptures which was their expertise that's what it was about so jesus said hey watch out you disciples and people are listening in too you know they love the position of power they love love to be that person yeah. I, uh, I read about the senior at his graduation ceremony was reading his speech and he got to this part and he said I want to talk about my mother and the wonderful influence she had on my life she is a shining example of a good parent and I love her more than words could ever say 
Then right after that, at that point, he started to like struggle with his words and fumble a little bit. And after a pause, he looked up with a sly smile and said, um, it's really hard to read my mom's handwriting. <laughs> but that's these guys. They were more into their position. Number two of these four things is to be aware of is they lust after more and more money. And that's what we see here in verse 47, the first part, who devour widows' houses. You see, they basically would plunder the property. They would, they would take the money. See, back then, the scribes, these lawyer guys, right, basically, they would be hired to help with the state and the money and the property and stuff that were left to the widow when the husband died to help them with whatever they need to pay and take care of. Well, these scribes would cheat the widows out of what was left to them, basically leaving them with hardly anything. And so it wasn't that they really needed the money. They just wanted more of it. And how sad they were willing to take it from poor widows. Billy Graham once said, there's nothing wrong with men possessing riches. The wrong comes when riches possess men. And that's what was happening to these guys. That was evidence that riches possessed them. Riches controlled them because they wanted more of it. So they loved the position of power. They lust after more and more money. And number three, they lived for the appearance. Now, you, you, you can already see this already. In verse, verse 47, Jesus brings this up. For a pretense, make long prayers. Pretense means as appearance, to appear, to put on this outward show. So for a show, they prayed long prayers. They pretended to be super spiritual. They pretended to be, oh, these holy men of God, close to God. But they did it on purpose, just to make themselves look good. They lived for the appearance. It was, it was all about keeping up that appearance of their position and their holy and they appeared so spiritual but in reality you know what they were very far from god jesus called them on on this he called this out in matthew 6 5 when he wrote and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly i said to you they have received their reward and 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 uh, they would go and stand on the street corners, market day two, and and they would um, traditionally put their head down, raise their hands up, and they would just pray super loud and super long, so everyone in a market could hear them, so that they would appear so holy and pray these long, long prayers. So we see they love the position of power. They lust after more and more money. They live for the appearance. And our last, number four, Jesus beware, is saying, warning the disciples they, that the Pharisees, they line up to lose the most. The last part of verse 47 says, they will receive the greater condemnation. So lastly, Jesus said that these supposed Jewish spiritual leaders who seem to be holy are not because they're actually under the condemnation of God. They, they, they seem like they're not, but they really are. They are actually the ones who will receive greater condemnation. Why? Because they should know better. Yeah, They're supposedly the experts on the scriptures. They should 
know better. You know, I've heard, you know, some kids even talk or some guys even share when they're growing up how their parents would say to them, do as I say, not as I do, right? But what is that? How sad is that? You know, that's just saying I'm a hypocrite, so don't do it, but but do what I say. You know, it's like, no. You know, we are to live that example the best we can. I know we're not perfect. I'm not, definitely. But these guys... They were basically, you know, hypocrites because behind the scenes, oh, they would do all this, but it wasn't genuine. It wasn't sincere. They are actually worse, and Jesus had called them out in their sins and their pride and their thirst for lust for money and greed and everything than what they appeared to be. Sadly, the scribes and Pharisees, I, I think, you know what? They were into the perks of being a priest more than the people. So rather than being teachers to lead the people to God, they are leading people away. So this is Jesus now. What we see in this last part of chapter 20, Jesus is uncovering their true identity here. And this is the last thing I want you to see, is that here's Jesus reaching out to both the religious leaders and the disciples. Jesus says, this is not the way to go. This is what Jesus is saying. This isn't the road to follow. This isn't it. This, this, is, this is not what it means to follow God. And perhaps there's some of these tendencies we're reading about in your heart tonight. Perhaps we see some things like that. Perhaps maybe some of you are, I mean, real whole godly and everything. So, but, but maybe there's still things inside of you that people don't know about but they're there. We should be listening. We should be listening that God, because God is talking here. Who? What are you really following? Who are you following? You know, just yesterday, uh, speaking on a, on, through video from Ukraine, uh, President uh, Zelensky talked to the UK Parliament. Uh, uh, I was watching part of it today. And um, it's interesting. Um, I mean, we've got to be praying for what's going on there because it's pretty crazy. Even we saw today, I think, a, um, a maternity hospital got hit. And I was like, what? It's crazy, you know. Um, but he comes on this video, uh, through video, talking to the U.K. Parliament yesterday. And basically, he was just talking about what has happened and that he would fight the Russian invaders all the way to the end. He said things like, we will not give up, we will not lose. We will fight till the end at sea and in the air. We will continue fighting for our land, whatever the cost. We will fight in the forests, in the fields, on the shores, in the streets, and even on the banks of rivers. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was really a moving speech. But the articles that came out, um, this, I think he did that yesterday, but today that I, that I was reading, they were saying how it echoed Winston Churchill's speech in World War II. Now, I don't know if you heard his speech. It's a famous speech by Winston Churchill. He was the prime minister of England at the time when Germany began attacking England. Now, Germany was this huge force against uh, the, the little islands of, of England. And, and, 
And it was scary for them. They could easily be bombed out and overtaken. But he gave a similar kind of speech, talking about they're going to fight the Nazi troops on the beaches, on the landing grounds, in the fields, and in the streets. And it was a very famous and moving speech. And, and, and you can hear like that same thing in President uh, Valensky. And when I read an, an article about that, I thought, oh, because he's been pretty fiery and pretty, you know, moving in his speeches and talks, if you listen to him, and I was thinking, wow, maybe that's where President Zelensky gets his brave and uh, courageous words and, and all his actions through this whole time, this whole whole war. Seems to be maybe he is following after like how Churchill led England when Germany was attacking them in World War II. Well, Jesus here is warning the disciples not to follow the scribes and Pharisees to be like that. Don't go down that road. You know, follow me. Follow what's true. Follow what God would want. And here's God speaking, right? Jesus is saying, like, hey, don't, don't, don't go down that road, right? Because hey, the end is not good for them. They will receive, verse 47, the greater condemnation. And I think at the same time, Jesus is trying to reach the scribes and Pharisees here. Yeah, He's exposing them. He's, he's, he's exposing their hypocrisy to convict their hearts so that they would repent of it and come to faith in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is God who is speaking to them right now. He's not just some guy who has this philosophy of life to live. Yeah. He's not just, oh, some sort of self-proclaimed rabbi that has risen up in the ranks and here he's teaching people. No, he is the Messiah, God speaking. So I want you guys tonight to stop and think about what are you following? What's your path taking you down? What kind of person are you becoming on this path? Who's influencing you? Who are you following? Who are you being like? Who who are your heroes? What are you, you following after? Sometimes you suddenly realize that who you become when you when you go, whoa, that's something I never wanted to be. You know? Sometimes kids are like do everything they can not to be like their, their horrible father and then all of a sudden they end up being that. You know. Yeah. But we all gotta make that choice to get off the wrong path, get on the right path following Jesus. Turn back to Jesus. Be all that Jesus wants you to be, really. As we um, come to the end here, it's like we're there in the crowd and Jesus is speaking to us. And God is calling, just as he is for them, on on what we need to do, because the Lord is speaking. Remember, Jesus basically told them um, way early back in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. It's like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? So, listen, we want to do what God wants, right? Jesus is speaking here. We want to act like this is so important because the Lord is speaking into our life right now. And I was thinking about how, if anything, 
These guys had no compassion, no mercy for the people or anybody. They're very legalistic because they are so and so experts of the law. Perhaps maybe this is something to think about is are we being too critical sometimes like these guys? That's what I was thinking. When I think about scribes and Pharisees, these experts, they're very legalistic. And what they were missing in over and over Jesus taught was trying to get to them is they got to give mercy as God gives mercy. They have to have compassion as God gives compassion. So who are we as Jesus is molding and shaping us into who we are to be? Who are we following after? And I'm not just talking about uh, um, turning from your sins and uh, living right before God or stop being a hypocrite or, or like these guys were, but I'm talking about really growing in our character in Christ Jesus, in our love, in our compassion, in our forgiveness and mercy, and in our grace. This is who Jesus was. And even at this moment, even with Jesus knowing these religious leaders are plotting to kill him, knowing that in a matter of days, they're, they're plotting. Judas's betrayal is going to put him on the cross because of these guys. He's trying to reach them. He's still trying to reach them. He says, hey, what about David? What about what he said? Didn't he say that Messiah is not just this human, but he's a God? Kind of like, hey, get a clue. Look who's here. Yeah, Look who's talking to you. And let me bring up this stuff. Yeah? There's greater condemnation, you know. I'm calling out to you. That's his compassion. That's his love, even right at this moment. This is Jesus. He, he's a savior, right? He's come to save. I'll close with this. There's an old story that is told of a man who got lost and wandered into quicksand, and he was totally stuck and in despair. And the story goes on saying, well, Confucius came and said, it is evident that men should stay out of places such as this. Buddha came by and said, let the man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. Muhammad came and said, Ah, it's the will of Allah. But then finally, <laughs> Jesus appeared, reached out to him saying, Take my hand and I will save you. Don't you love that? It's like what we talked about Sunday. Even in our failures, God is still there. And even in our sin, God wants to save us. He wants to forgive us. And he's compassionate reaching out. And Jesus is the only one who can because he is God who has come in the flesh and died on the cross. The perfect sacrifice. The lamb was, who was slain for our sins. And he made the way. Only God could do that. So will you take his hand tonight? Will you give him your life so he can change it? Because he's God and he can change it. So who is Jesus? He's God our Savior who came to save us. And if that's the answer, if that's your answer, then that's the million-dollar question. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for loving us, God, even when we're unlovable, God. Thank you for being faithful to us, Lord, even when uh, we're unfaithful, God. Thank you that 
while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. God, you didn't throw us to the side. You didn't say, ah, you're not worth it. You didn't say, oh, I know, even after you receive me, you're going to mess up. Ah, I don't, don't want to try with you. No. But in your loving providence, you reached out to us and you spoke to us. You put out your hand that we would be able to take it and receive you into our heart. And I pray tonight that no matter where anyone is here right now, where, where they are with you, God, in their walk or connected online, may you show all of us that you do love us, God, and that you are Savior, and there's no one else but you, our Lord Jesus, the Son of God who came to this earth to die for us and rise again so we can have new life. God, help us to understand that as we put you in our minds and heart on a higher level, that when you speak to us, it's God speaking. Help us to be attentive, to obey, to be submissive, Lord, submitted to what you want us to do because you're speaking and your truth are the only way we can be healed, the only way that we can be freed. This is the way. And the only path is you, Lord. Lord, let us put aside everything in the world right now. Let us put aside our sinful desires in our flesh and come to the place that it's you, Jesus. It's you. So we offer up, God, our heart, our life, and we commit to you right now to follow you, to get on that path, to stay on that path, and to go forward on that path right now. In Jesus' name, amen.